Hello, welcome back to Artwork Podcast. Today we're talking about working environments. We've got a full episode, more more contributors than ever, so I'm going to keep the intro short and sweet. But a few things I want to say. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the first episode. That's Almas, Jem, Ronnie, Sophie. It was wonderful, and we've had a great reaction to everything you guys came up with, all your ideas, all that stuff. So thank you very much. And to those who provided some feedback for the show, very grateful to you. I've been reading over that before starting this one, so it's, it's, it's changed the format of the show slightly. I don't know if you want shouting out, but you know who you are, and thank you. And everyone that I've talked to to flesh out the format of the show, further things, new ideas, new features. But after the first episode, I remember feeling quite... I don't know, I, was, it, I finished recording it and I literally didn't know where, where it was going to go from there, but the amount of people that listened, the amount of people that talked to me about it, gave feedback to both me and Louisa is, is astonishing and drives me to, to make more of these. I, I wasn't even sure if I was at the time of the first episode, so here we are, episode two. Now you might notice that it's just me blathering on at the moment. Um, Louisa is away we're both away from Cardiff. It made it tricky to record an episode between us, so it's just me. She's in Argentina by now, I think. She's been travelling, and I'm in Hexham, the north of England. But it's been too long since I recorded the last one, so I want to get back stuck in before I get back to Cardiff. And when I return, Louisa will be on those next episodes, so don't worry. It's not going to be stuck like this. But we'll see how it goes. One person should be okay, because... The precedence is on the people who've contributed. That's where I want the focus to be. And saying that, I'll say one more thing, then we'll get to the episode. There have been more contributions to this than last time. Obviously, we're growing. So I've had to edit some of them slightly. I'm still I'm recording this before I've edited. So I'm not sure how much I'm going to chop things down. But if you hear any jumping in the clips and you don't know where it's coming from, it's to cut out where people might have restated the question or restated something they've said already just to make things a bit nippier i'm gonna try and cut out my own ums and ahs of which there have already been many so let's get to the episode episode two working environments and the reason i picked this is because i've long had an obsession with pictures you see from artist studios there's one in particular of Tovi Janssen. There's a few. She's in her really high ceiling studio in Helsinki and um, just canvases all over the place. She's lying down or leaning over things. There's so much going on, but it's, it's like a beautiful order to it. And I'm just obsessed with seeing people's desks. <laughs> it's a weird thing to to be obsessed with, maybe, but I just love seeing what what position people put things in and how how you because how you order your desk says a lot I think about how you order your mind maybe that might be a leap but that's that's how I've been thinking about it and I wanted to explore how this applies to different practices and of course on this show we have people from lots of different practices and it's been really interesting to hear the variation so without further ado let's get to those responses so in this episode, we have a total of six contributors. I'm going to go in alphabetical order and just describe them to you as much as a description can do. You're going to hear what they have to say later. So that's the important bit. But we have Alice Hewitt, who is a writer of poetry, short stories, essays, does some sketching and some painting and some music too. Campbell McNaughton, who is a musician, someone I know from high school. We've made some music together, actually, on one hungover morning after a, I don't know what we were doing, we were drinking somewhere, made a really nice song, in my opinion, and um, he's got some exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, check him out on, I think Instagram's the place to go for him too. Hannah Ryan, who is one of my best friends, she is a film writer, and I'd say a political campaigner. She does writing for Much Ado About Cinema, among other blogs, and does lots of commissioned work for websites. She is a verified reviewer on Rotten Tomatoes, which is big. So yeah, film critic and writer in general and political campaigner. She did a LGBT Awareness Week in her role as LGBT Women's Officer for Cardiff University last year. So yeah, multidiscipline. Jem Doctor, who is a returning contributor. If you listen to the last one, you'll have heard Jem. I'm still at, at sort of a loss to describe what he does. He's a visual and 3D artist. He makes these 
landscapes and sculptures in in computer software. I see I'm struggling here, but see it for yourself on his Instagram. There's lots of stuff and there's a portfolio of work too. Santiago Quintana, who is I think our first contribution based outside of the UK, which is exciting. He's from Chicago and has the most incredible Instagram bio I've ever seen. Dancer, tech, witch musician. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, then you'll find out later on. And Sophie Meyer, who is also a returning contributor, tattooist and illustrator. So you'll hear plenty more about all these people throughout the show. I just thought it'd be good to introduce them all at once. So yeah, let's get into it. First, I'm going to play something just from Santiago. One voice clip he sent us was an overview of all the questions. And I thought he said a lot of interesting things and it's worth giving it some time of its own. So I'm going to play that first. Hello, uh, this is Santiago Quintana. I am a queer Mexican immigrant in Chicago working as a musician and choreographer, an occasional poet. (laughs) I'm very interested in the questions that you post. And I think part of the complexities around a working environment involve the reality of artists having to have day jobs you know, to pay for their art. And I think as I have, I'm a software engineer as my day job. And I think as I've progressed from one job to the other as ways of funding my art, my workspace has changed with that. So uh, currently, most of my choreography is born in the office bathroom. You know, after working with a client and like doing some coding for like two hours or something, I'll take a a long bathroom break. I'll go to the bathroom, I'll stretch. Uh, There's good natural light, so it makes for good video. But also I try to work with the constraints of the environment. So a lot of my, my work recently has been very kind of like not a lot of huge movement and traveling just because I'm choreographing it in an office bathroom. I think of these moments as oiling the machine instead of places where I'm going to produce like material that I'm going to keep. Occasionally I will record some movement that I come up with, but most of the time it's just, I'll just be like improvising or trying things out. And there'll be moments where I'm like, oh my God, that looked really cool. And I'll have the impulse to video it so that I can keep it and then use it in choreography for later. But really what I try to do is invest in the machine more than the product. And so like if that one cool thing came out, many more will come. And so kind of taking this abundance mindset of being like, Yes, I my daily practice, whether it's in a bathroom or at the park or in my tiny apartment or in a dance studio, it will produce work. It will produce interesting moments. It will produce interesting material if I keep investing in it. So really, I think the change in working environment is simply fuel for creative restrictions that I think create interesting moments. I think making myself adaptable to different working environments has been key for me to continue my art practice, finding inspiration in all sorts of things. You know, I used to, I just moved, but I used to have a tiny, tiny bedroom that was just crammed with musical instruments and costumes. And there was just so little space to move. And so what ended up happening is that movement that I generated in that space ended up becoming a solo that I just performed a few weeks ago that has that aesthetic. It's very much like finding sensuality in the body and finding kind of almost sexiness while being in a very, very constrained space, which obviously I think translates to, well, I think it translated into a more psychological, a more philosophical question of like finding pleasure within like effort or constraint. And, you know, we don't, always we can't always live off of our art in fact it's very rare but with that constraint provides fuel for our art it shouldn't be seen as an obstacle you know it's more of an opportunity to engage with your art from different perspectives and sort of that movement that arise from me trying to find this like sexiness and this like fun movement inside a crammed tiny space became the essence of the work it wasn't just like oh well now i have to like figure out how to work in this environment it was just like no let's let's see what this is telling me so i think adapting to different working environments is is very important to keep 
my art practice alive, even as a musician as well, like not having the best speakers. Suddenly you're like, oh, I discovered that this sound could be made. And honestly, like most people listening to my music are not going to play it on like fancy ass monitors. So it's, it's just all of it is interesting, like adapting to new environments. So those were Santiago's thoughts on all five of the questions that we asked today. Um, I really enjoyed what he was saying about constraint and it reminded me of something I read in Albert Camus' Create Dangerously. Yeah, we're already going there. Pretentious quotes time. But he quoted Andre Gide, who said, art lives on constraint and dies of freedom. And he goes further to say this is true, but it must not be interpreted as meaning that art can be controlled. Art lives only on the constraints it imposes on itself. And I think as a way to intersect with what Santiago was saying, he was talking about abundance mindset. And my limited understanding of that is that there is there is no lack. There is no lack in the world. And so to say that about environmental constraints, say that there is no lack in what this place gives to me, it's just another place. And like he's saying, it's it became part of the work, not something that he's begrudgingly doing i'm just restating what santiago said now but yeah i really enjoy that the 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 constraints they fuel art like you said there's another quote that i'm I'm shelling these out very quickly already but um from reina maria wilker in letters to a young poet said if your everyday life seems to lack material do not blame it blame yourself tell yourself that you are not poet enough to summon up its riches for there is no lack for him who creates and no poor trivial place. So it sounds a bit harsh, blame yourself, but maybe it's a, maybe that's something worth considering, that wherever you are placed in the world, you do not lack material because there is something there. And I enjoy that. And I think that's something we're going to return to as as we hear the rest of the responses. It's something that comes up a lot, which I was really overjoyed to hear to be honest so with that let's get to question one i asked what is your current working environment whether it's a permanent or temporary solution how does it look and i just wanted to get a grounding what people were doing and and where and it's it's nice to hear about this stuff too so my working environment at the moment is um i'm in the living room of my parents house um they've gone out to do a quiz and I've taken the whole room because I wanted I wanted to make room for myself. And if I was just doing it up in my room where I do everything else, then it becomes kind of less special. So I wanted to record down here. Maybe I was just doing that because I'm so aware that this episode is about environments and I wanted to do something worth noting. It's, it's probably fine if I recorded it upstairs. The acoustics might even have been better. Anyway, that's where I'm working. And the microphone is wedged between two cushions in the sofa to form a stand. It's a, it's a nice DIY stuff we've got going on. Anyway, let's get to the responses. My current working environment is pretty temporary as I'm kind of between places at the moment, but I'm just kind of working from my bedroom at home right now. It doesn't have a desk, so I just kind of lean on any available surface to work. Uh, my favourite writing spot at the moment is my little windowsill, which is flat and large enough to scatter numerous notebooks and pens and provides me with a panoramic view of the sea, which I'll expand on in a few questions' time. It's difficult to kind of forge a completely comfortable working space when you're moving around a lot, but with writing, I don't necessarily feel as if I need one. The world is essentially my workspace. It's not like other creative practices where you need a studio or certain tools or equipment. I write all over the place, in cafes, pubs, parks, on buses, and I appreciate that I've chosen a craft that affords me with that freedom. However, I've often thought that I would be more productive and focused with a dedicated space and routine of my own, definitely, so I'm trying to make room for that in my life. Today I'm recording some music in the Balquitta Village Hall, community village hall where I live. So right now I've got the drum kit set out in front of me. It's a massive big room with big high ceilings, stag's head mounted on the wall looking at me and, you know, lots of reverberation. That's not really my usual environment. I've recorded pretty much all music through my life in... um, my bedroom, a real like bedroom musician. So all I'd usually have as my setup is like a laptop and some instruments lying about kind of haphazardly and cables that are tangled up and things. Generally, I leave things set up when I'm kind of living my life as well, just because any setting up I have to do will impede my processes. It's so hard for me to get from being just like in a normal state to in a creative state, actually putting something into 
something down, some music. So any barriers to that, like setting up, I tend to try and avoid, which means I also have very kind of poorly treated acoustic environments to record in. But it's a creative decision as much as it is a one of necessity. It just it kind of lends a sort of vibe to your music that you wouldn't get if you're in a studio. And I, I kind of like I kind of like being a bedroom musician. It appeals to me. So that's where I usually record music, but I write lyrics as well. And I think usually I write lyrics when I'm out and about. I think I, I, I take my dog for a walk or something and I'm listening to music and something will come to me, a line will come to me and I'll write it in the notes on my phone or something like that. And then when I get home, I'll write it in a notebook to kind of properly record it but things things tend to come to me when my brain is a bit asleep and I can I guess I'm more receptive to ideas when my brain's a bit asleep when it's not really thinking of anything in particular and it's not engaged in anything it's just like looking at a tree I'll think of a lyric and think oh, okay that's that's good I'll put it in so my current working environment is my dining room at home because uh, currently I'm residing in Birmingham for the summer while I wait for my master's to start in Cardiff and I'm home you know, the house I grew up in with my parents. And, and so my working space right now is actually my downstairs kind of kitchen uh, dining table because <clears throat> I don't have a desk in my room. I've never had a desk in my room at home. Uh, so I've never worked there, um, which is really different for me because usually when I'm in Cardiff, I tend to work in my room and have a lot of access to air in my room, uh, which is one I actually inherited from Rowan. And I kind of set my desk up in the way I want it to be. I sort of have my vinyls there. I have a lamp there and I tend to put some music on and that tends to be my space in which I work, in which I write. But right now, it's at home, it's downstairs, and that's a little bit odd because it kind of feels like I don't have much isolation or privacy, uh, kind of because my parents are almost always at home. Although this is my own space in the dining room, like I'm generally undisturbed and I just kind of put my headphones in and get on with it. Uh, it still doesn't feel like a private space and it doesn't feel like the space I have in Cardiff. So I'm kind of getting used to that. But once I kind of sit there and get over a brief kind of spate of writer's block, I feel like I'm able to actually be productive and get some real art and real work done. It just takes a while. It's something to adjust to. Uh, and I'm OK with it. I'm working through it. With regards to how it looks, it's... Uh, almost an all-white layout, which is quite common, actually, which is, I find quite settling, you know, I feel quite comfortable. Also, I do have access to, like, the garden, for example. I usually have the back door open, which means there's air coming through and the sunlight streams in. So it's a nice solution, even if it's a temporary one for now. So my current studio setup, if you want to call it that, is a very temporary one since I'm back from university. Transitioning from, like, physical media to digital media, it sort of helped in creating a workspace which I find is more productive in that there's less less stuff going on and it's really really the, the workspace is just me and my laptop and maybe like a few reference books and sketchbooks and stuff like that that I can use it's not like how how I used to work where there might be just saws or paintbrushes or really anything that just could be about so it's really cleaned up the process and I think it's a more productive and more sort of pleasant way of working probably so I currently work in Plymouth in a relatively new tattoo studio just off the city centre and I've been there since March 2018. So for me it's it's a fairly permanent residence so I do have ideas to kind of branch off and maybe move around the UK or move abroad, do guest spots which is quite common in the tattoo industry to like um, stay in another studio for maybe like a week or so. That's what the future holds for me right now. However at the moment it is permanent for me. It's quite a sort of modern looking studio. It's not a traditional studio whatsoever. And we have flash on the walls and things like that, but it's we've tried to keep it so it feels modern and progressive rather than, I don't know, like a scary place where people turn up and, I don't know, like a lot of people have this kind of sort of pre-contation that tattoo studios are scary and really hard to approach, but ours is... We try to make it not like that in uh, the best that we can. We currently have like four artists there, um, including myself, but we often have like guest artists coming in and out. So it's quite a lively environment. There you go. As I was listening to those, I was going through them and most people seem to be in a kind of temporary space, like Jem saying he's working from, from home away from university and there's the people passing through places Alice doesn't have a desk and it was it felt like a relief when we got to Sophie in the tattoo studio I thought finally some permanence but it's interesting to hear that so many people are moving out and about while they work I liked what Alice said about the world is my workspace it reminded me of something I always tell people about I'm not sure why I'm so fascinated with it but I remember hearing that Jay-Z never writes his lyrics down I don't know when 
he made this change. I think it was quite early on in his career, but he decided not to write things and he'd just stand in the studio, make up his verse, deliver it as he's there. And it's just a remarkable thing. I learned that on Akala's show about the Odyssey and Akala does it too. Lots of rappers have followed suit, but to basically just keep it all in your head that you can work anywhere and to, to develop that skill on the move is incredible. The kind of continuation of oral culture, I just find that incredible. And he's got a lyric about it. Hall of Fame Hove did it all without a pen. Anyway, that's enough of that tangent. So there's an overview of where everyone's working. I hope you found some of it interesting. In each of them, I was my imagination was having a good go of trying to figure out what these places look like. Um, yeah, especially intrigued by where Jem used to work, talking about how he doesn't have sores anymore surrounding him. And that just strikes me as quite an intriguing thing. But yeah, I hope that hope that maybe you got some inspiration to work somewhere or you considered where you're working a bit more. So question two. In unusual or temporary situations, what are the essential components or adjustments which create a comfortable workspace for you? So we've got five responses for this one. Um, Alice Campbell, Hannah, Jem and Sophie. Here they are. I think surrounding or immersing myself in things that inspire me often helps if I'm somewhere that isn't familiar or is temporary or unusual. That could be in the form of sticking some postcards or quotes um, above a workspace, taking a book um, or listening to music that feels particularly inspiring. Music is a big one, actually. Um, I don't necessarily listen to it while I'm writing, or if I do, I'll listen to instrumental stuff as I find lyrics a bit distracting sometimes. But even if I just listen to it to, to get ideas and put myself in a certain mindset or perspective. Um, so just consuming the fruits of other people's creative labour is something I feel that is very inspiring and makes me motivate to work in any given space, even if it's not the usual one. It also helps to find somewhere that doesn't have a lot of external distractions. So finding the peaceful spot in an otherwise busy place or space often helps to give me a sense of clarity in what I'm doing. But apart from that, all I really need is a notebook, a pen and some ideas. I think the main things I need when um, I'm trying to do anything creative is is to be alone and to not have any distractions. I think the main thing that's that slowed me up in terms of creativity in the last three years has been the fact that I've been living with my friends and most of the time I'd rather be hanging out with them than like upstairs in my room on my own singing into a microphone. It's not. I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not. I'm not. You know, annoyed at my friends, but my prime time for recording stuff or creating tends to be when everyone's out and I'm I'm kind of left with myself and then that's when I turn to the computer to record some music and I tend to always want to be alone as well and just and not be overheard I, I have a kind of there's an awkwardness about being overheard when you're working on something I think for me at least so I don't really want anyone to hear me singing a take even if it's a good take I don't I just don't want anyone to kind of have that to hear me there because maybe it's kind of vulnerable like I haven't I haven't had it through and edited it or anything and and processed it really for people to consume yet it's just like just me singing or just me doing a guitar part or something so I like to be alone and also kind of isolated so that people can't really hear what I'm doing and then I can just emerge later on with a finished product to hand to people. So when I'm in an unusual or kind of temporary situation, uh, I tend to find that one of the essential components with regards to creating a comfortable workspace is music and is always having music and is always being able to listen to music. Like I can kind of work in most places. I would say I'm not really limited too much, but without music, I think I really struggle to kind of get focus and to kind of get a grip on something. And without having headphones with me uh, in order to kind of get rid of the outside world, you know, get rid of any other external influences, then I find it really difficult to concentrate and to start my work and to start writing. Like sometimes when I get into the flow of things, I have to stop listening to music because it's too distracting. But before I get started, I find it really necessary to go through a couple, at least a couple of songs first. And I find it unusual not to. And then because that's kind of part of my ritual now before I start to write uh I don't think I could do without it so like even for example when I'm traveling you know and I'm on a mega bus somewhere or a train somewhere and I have an article due or I have some ideas that I need to jot down I have something that I need to write about I tend to not be able to do it if I don't have music with me like I tend to really struggle in the silence see I think having music uh to accompany me when I write is almost a necessity for any time I want to work or I want to start the creative process and I think without it I'd really struggle
comfortable. Yeah, I think that's one of the major components as to what makes a workspace comfortable for me. Uh, I think as well is having literal space makes something quite comfortable for me. So like not being too cramped up, like even in a temporary setting, like having access to like a window, at least if I was on a train or like a table seat would help me think so much more clearly and write so much more clearly than to be cramped up in a tiny space sat next to someone. I think the essentials to a temporary workplace are very sort of practical things, at least for me. So it's access to the internet, access to plug sockets and outlets, and a sort of a table space so that I can use my laptop and my mouse comfortably. It's it's much more about sort of practical comfort rather than anything else. But there are also other things that I feel like I need to have in any sort of workspace. So my notebooks and sketchbooks and sort of loose paper that I can draft out ideas on quickly or work stuff out that I can't necessarily do immediately on in the digital space. I also like to have a lot of reference books so they can literally be anything so I have books on sort of flower arrangement or I have like comics as well and yeah they can really be on anything and it's important because I like I like to be able to draw inspiration from those sort of things so I like to have them around me as books rather than having them like images on like a file on my computer there's something about having them in books which to me is that I can connect with it much more. So before working at the studio I was in uni and we had quite a, like a limited desk space that we had to move around every year so I mean I guess it's not as temporary as, as far as temporary goes but we did have to kind of make sure that we didn't carry around too much with us as well as like moving house every year as like many uni students will know that's usually the common way that it goes. Generally, I, I try to keep my try to keep my desk really tidy, but it never really happened. As an artist, you're always going to make loads of mess and that's OK. Yeah, like I, I've had to work in small vicinities before and it's it's all right. Like you make make of what you can with what you can. I'm kind of used to like moving around now, so I don't find it too uncomfortable to do that. What I found interesting about some of those responses was there's kind of a contrast between the different practices in that. Alice and Hannah, both writers, they would listen to music. And I found it really interesting they talk about like a, a ritual before. And then Jem saying that he has books where he's working. It's just interesting the interplay between those mediums. And I wondered if it, it stretches any further, there are any different forms interact with other forms. Say, say music interacts with writing, literature interacts with visual art. I wonder if there is a leaning towards other mediums in one particular medium, or this is a spread and it's a coincidence that Alice and Hannah said the same thing. Anyway, moving on. Brian Eno shares the thing about having books in the working place, like Jem, and I remember seeing an interview with him and he talks about he he makes ambient music where which lasts for tens of minutes, so he programs it in before listening, and he presses play and he goes around into this other room adjacent to his studio which is just filled with books, which apparently are also great for acoustic treating. But he goes into this room and then listens to it and reads. I think that's a very peaceful arrangement to have. And yeah, so that's shared by Jem there. Campbell too, talking about having no distractions. I share that a lot when everyone's out, that I'm doing it right now. My parents have left the house and I feel more free to talk to myself, which can I just say is making me go a bit bonkers. I miss you, Louisa. It was very useful to have someone to talk to. But yeah, having having no distractions is valuable. So I can be grateful for that. Yeah, otherwise, interesting to see that people don't have many requirements to work. Going back to the, the pretentious quotes I gave you at the start, there is no lack for those who create. Like Wilker said, it's pretty bread and butter approaches from everyone just need a, a laptop power source or you just need a, a notebook and a table and a bit of peace and quiet that's a more ethereal requirement that you can have not not anything in your physical space but an absence of noise and distraction and i guess peace is an inner thing too maybe that's worth exploring on another episode i always wonder how i'm going to get to that stuff because Talking about art, there's a certain amount of things which it's like they can't be spoken of, you know, and I feel like this podcast is speaking about everything in which it is possible to speak about and therefore by leaving the rest, trying to define it by not talking about it. But yeah, so I, I don't know how to cover 
it thinks like inner peace. But that is an important aspect of, of creation is having a kind of calm beginning place to go from. So maybe we'll 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 work to that. Maybe that's maybe that's something I can save for series two. So I'm editing the show now and we've actually just had a submission um just for this question, which ties in exactly to what I'm saying here. So it'd be silly not to play it. It's from Ronnie Pope, who is a returning contributor. She's a writer, performer, much more, and all her links will be in the description, as with everyone else. I like to pretend we run a tight ship here, but if you're in the email loop and you have a submission, you think it's going to be late, just send it anyway. Just send it because this will happen. I'll put it in. Anyway, thank you, Ronnie. And we're going to play the short clip now and then to question three. I wanted to talk about how unusual or temporary situations can translate as being phases of work or mental situations as opposed to maybe physical setup situations. For example... As a writer, periods of reading, listening, absorbing, as opposed to periods of producing or editing, etc. I myself have spent the past weeks collecting, consuming, and piling up material to ingest, and writing far less than usual, not even every day, because there shouldn't be a pressure to have to have something to show for every day's worth of thinking. This means that a comfortable workspace often looks like my bed, or the train, or the National Express, or someone else's bed. It's anywhere but at a neat desk. So I've been sitting with myself, noticing how okay it is to spend time listening, reading, thinking, talking, delving into the practice in a real, lived-out way, living more ambivalently, fattening myself up with all of my experiences, and my experiences of the experiences of others, collective experiences ready for the autumn, to cocoon myself up, finally find an ergonomic seat with my MacBook and just start hashing it out. So yeah, the essential components or adjustments in order to create a comfortable workspace seem to be much more internal for me. Next is question three. Do you have good access to nature or wilderness where you live and what role does this play in your creative practice? So I ask this because when I go from home to university, I move from Hexham, which is a rural town, basically about 10, 12,000 people here. If you walk up the hill, you're in the woods. If you walk down, you're by the river and up the valley again, the more woods. So it's quite a nice area for nature. And of course, we're near nature reserves, the North Pennines, the Lake District isn't that far. So it's, it's a quite idyllic place and when I go to Cardiff while Cardiff is remarkably close to lots of nature things I don't seem to get out to them as much as I do here so I have a kind of cycle between living in the metropolis and the like the maddening crowd and then coming back to Hexham which is very peaceful and quiet and nature filled so I wanted to see maybe people who aren't stationed in two places where they get their fix of nature from, whether it's seen by them as something so necessary to creation. So we'll find out. So we've got answers on this one from Alice, Campbell, Jem and Sophie. I'm lucky enough to live very close to nature at the moment and to also have grown up around nature. So it's something that's been a constant both in my life and my creative practice, maybe sometimes without even me knowing it. I don't necessarily work in nature physically, but it's always there sort of grounding me. Um, For example, I can see the sea from my window and this endless stretch of sky above it. And on any given day, neither of those things look the same. And that sort of constant presence of the sea in the sky, but also its fluidity, is a source of constant comfort and inspiration in equal measure. That being said, I've lived and spent a lot of time in cities too. And I'm also really inspired by urban landscapes. I think there's something quite romantic and restless about cities. It's completely different from the natural world. And I like to think that both landscapes inform my creative practice. I live at the moment between Manchester and the Scottish Highlands. So, and, and prior to that, I lived in rural Northumberland. So nature has always been a big factor in my identity, firstly, which then goes through into the music that I make and the lyrics that I write. I have OK access to nature, I guess, in Manchester. They've got nice parks and things that I can go and have a walk around in. And then when I'm at home and I'm in the Highlands, then I've got the wilderness like on my back door so I can go out really into into complete, like can't hear anyone, can't see anyone. It's just trees. 
that definitely affects my music and, and uh, my lyrics. I think, like I, I said earlier, the, I write a lot of lyrics when I'm looking at nature and I'm in nature and it's kind of an in, inspiring thing. And all my metaphors, I think, when I'm writing lyrics tend to come from nature automatically. It's the first thing I reach for is some sort of like natural imagery to, to evoke something. Being in Manchester as well, being in a city, I think has made that part of my um, identity and that part of my songwriting even more pronounced probably than if I just stayed in somewhere rural because it's I guess the contrast you know what you're missing when you're like stuck in a townhouse and you look outside and it's just like pavement and then you really start or I really start kind of yearning for a tree to to look at and some grass um, and some wildlife so you don't feel that you're just alone and being a human mixed up in kind of industry and stuff you want to feel more connected to to everything else that's when I feel most inspired, I think, is when I'm in nature and feeling connected to things. And then I can make connections in music and in, in my writing as well. I feel like I'm able to get pretty good access to sort of nature through my parents' garden. That's really just right outside the room that I'm currently working in. But also there's pretty good access to more rural areas, not that far from where I am. Maybe a 20 minute or so bike ride. I really enjoy having access to these sort of spaces because there's sort of quite a lot of naturalistic imagery and like landscape imagery and it's really good to be able to go to those places and far and look for references or take samples and take them back and then you have something real world that you can model from or something like that which is really useful because otherwise you're sort of just guessing off like a picture or something like that so living in plymouth um we live really close to like Dartmoor and Cornwall, which is really, really nice. It's not entirely accessible unless you have a car, but I do try to get out and get out of Plymouth as much as I can, because even though it's a nice city and everything, it is quite draining having lived in the country for so long to like live in a city sort of environment. But I, I definitely feel like I have days where I feel completely drained of like any, any sort of inspiration or motivation or anything that no YouTube video or Instagram account or... Uh, podcasts can really inspire me um, and those are sort of like the times that I kind of feel like that's when I need to get out into nature and that's when I need to relax and unwind and just not stress about creating. We're quite lucky here with Plymouth that we ha we're so close to see it's, it's within a about 10-15 minute walking distance from my house so if worse comes to worse I do kind of take a stroll down to the the ocean and just like sit and just watch the waves and all that sort of stuff which is really nice but I don't, I, I honestly don't really get as, get to do it as often as I'd like to. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like nature and being around nature really does affect your creativity. I definitely notice when I'm back home in Derbyshire that um, I feel a lot more relaxed and able to create stuff that I want to create, not thinking about creating with a purpose as such, which can then like help inform my work that I am creating with a purpose, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, I, I definitely do feel like nature is, is really important to being an artist and being creative. So those were people's thoughts on nature and their access to nature. It seems Alice shares the kind of constant fluidity, as she put it, between the romantic and restless cities and nature. Being by the sea, that sounds wonderful, the big window by the sea. I'm always intrigued by that, like, artist towns that you hear about, like St. Ives, Cornwall, um, and they've got a Tate gallery there went last summer with my family and it's just really nice loads of small galleries everywhere and independent places and I see the pull of it and I've yeah I always find that interesting that there are these hot spots for artists where there is just water <laughs> water is enough to to pull artists in anyway another thing I've found interesting I want to tie together between those responses is Campbell talking about Nature informs the metaphors in his lyricism. And then Jem saying that more than metaphor, it's a, it's a real world modeling practice when he goes into nature and he takes something back from it. And it's just interesting the, the way nature can shape our creation from those metaphorical standpoint and also from actual physical appearance and nature. That was a bad word to use, but you know what I mean. Sophie was talking about just going going to watch the waves every now and then and the kind of the recalibration that you get from nature. And I've been reading this book by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi um, called Creativity, the Psychology of Discovery and Invention. And he has this whole chapter about creative surroundings, which is something that I 
pulled on greatly when I was putting these questions together. There's a part of this chapter where he talks about, so he has this system of research where they gave lots of people pages and they'd page them at random times of the day to ask them various questions. One of them being, how creative do you feel? Highest levels were when people are doing a semi-automatic activity, something that takes up a certain amount of attention while leaving some of your attention free to make connections among ideas below the threshold of conscious intentionality, is how he put it. So devoting full attention to a problem is not the best recipe for having creative thoughts. I'm just going to read the next bit of the passage in full. When we think intentionally, thoughts are forced to follow a linear, logical, hence predictable direction. But when attention is focused on the view during a walk, part of the brain is left free to pursue associations that normally are not made. This mental activity takes place backstage, so to speak. We become aware of it only occasionally. Because these thoughts are not in the centre of attention, they are left to develop on their own. There is no need to direct them, to criticise them prematurely, to make them do hard work. And of course it is just this freedom and playfulness that makes it possible for leisurely thinking to come up with original formulations and solutions. There was another thing I want to add to that passage though, which he says... Unless one enters the situation with some deeply felt question and the symbolic skills necessary to answer it, nothing is likely to happen. And I think there's a lot to be found in that. He's talking about symbolic skills. And so symbolic skills are things that are not developed in nature, I suppose. The kind of things that you'd learn when you're in the city, surrounded by fellow people working towards the same goal you learn and you pick up patterns of practice or you pick up skills and those are these symbolic things which then you need to retreat into nature with form a question about and then your mind does the work for you once you have those symbolic skills when you have once you have new symbols to attach together that's when you need to go into nature I don't know why I'm telling you like this like a like a direction but that's something I've picked up from this book and trying to trying to put into practice. Enough of that. I've talked for too long. Question four. Information and tutelage for specific crafts are often concentrated in one geographical place. Did you move to where you live now in order to pursue your creative career? Or perhaps your current location has encouraged your creativity in unanticipated ways? So this goes to something I read in the Mahali book about micro and macro environments. Micro environments being where you work your desk, your immediate surroundings, and the macro being the culture you're surrounded by. So I was wondering if people followed what he talks about when people move to a university to study with a particular person. We don't have so many scientists in artwork podcast yet, but there are definitely cultural centres for music and for writing and tattooing, as we'll find out. It's interesting to see how much this plays into the demographic for this podcast, which is mostly at the moment younger people, university students and recent graduates. But there are some exceptions to that, of course. So without further ado. I moved to Manchester to go to university, probably because or partly because of its reputation in, in music. It's got a good music scene. I didn't want to be somewhere where I couldn't hear good live music. And it's also got a lot of music colleges or I've got a lot of friends who go to music universities there and who are now working professionally in the music industry. Um, it really helps to be kind of connected to those people to, for, for me to make music. But it happened as well that people that I knew were like me as well, not not pursuing music or anything creative professionally, but doing it anyway um, at home. Those were the people that, that I kind of connected with a lot because, well, we all make music in the same way as a kind of distraction or something to to do for fun rather than for a career or to have that pressure taken off. Definitely it has helped me to keep going, having people who are in the same position as me still making music on top of all their kind of work commitments. As far as geography goes, I think that's something that I've been questioning a lot. There's a huge impulse in the dance world to just have everyone move to New York and in America, that is. So everyone in America wants you to move to New York or says that you ought to move to New York to be a dancer. And I want to make it my mission to directly challenge that. You know, you can be a dancer anywhere in the world because you, you because I have a body and ideas and resources most of the time. And that means that I can make dance. 
you know, in, in the same way that I think seeking mentorship nowadays with internet and with, you know, what all the, the access to information that we have um, shouldn't be restricted geographically. Like I just did a video chat with a friend of mine who's in, who's a dancer in New York and we were talking about this and I was like, she's much more advanced in her dance career than I am. And she gave me a ton of, of insight into what it means to, you know, become a, a dancer and try to make it and, and creating new work and new perspectives and keeping your work fresh. And I didn't have to move to New York. I was in Chicago the entire time. I do think that choosing the environment, choosing the, the geographic location that will inspire you is more important than choosing a location that where everyone knows that like, that's where you go. So Chicago is a, is a, is a, perfect place for me. It's a city, but it's also very laid back and relaxed and also cheap. And it's easy to live in Chicago. And it's not necessarily a center for dance, but it is a center for music. And so there's different things that you can do with it. And Chicago itself inspires me. And I know people who are like, I just want to live in a small town. And they go and they live in a small town and they still, you know, make good art, even if they're not like stressed out and broke and... <laughs> you know, like living, barely surviving in New York. So I think we should seek out places that inspire us instead of places where we like should be trying to follow the like traditional narrative of like where our art goes. So I moved down to Plymouth four years ago for uni and ended up staying here. I like graduated last year in September and by that point I'd already been in my apprenticeship since the March of last year. And it was during like the end of my degree that I, I came across my apprenticeship purely by chance. I was interviewing one of the tattoo artists in Plymouth and he asked to see my work and then offered me an apprenticeship, which was like very lucky. It's not usually how it works. But yeah, I was pretty lucky with that. So I ended up, I have ended up staying down here and really enjoying life here, I guess. It's definitely affected my work initially going to uni. I, like most people did fine art at school. So all my work was kind of based around realism and creating realistic portraits or realistic landscapes. And I had originally wanted to be a, a concept artist. And that was what I went to uni with the mindset of was doing that. And I quickly found out that it was a very competitive field of work and you needed to be top notch in kind of all aspects of your practice. So that's like digital and traditional, whereas I didn't really have a lot of background in digital and I didn't really enjoy it as much as traditional work, which was like pen and paper essentially. So I kind of phased out of that sort of idea and I started looking at other aven avenues and I started getting loads of tattoos while I was in, in uni and I started kind of meeting tattoo artists and talking to them quite a lot and some of them I count as my friends, I counted as my friends at this point. And the idea kind of appealed to me more and more. So I guess in that way, like moving down to Plymouth introduced me to tattooing because it has a very long standing tattoo history down here like um it's a, a naval port so a lot of its traditional tattoo roots are very firmly based in traditional tattoos so definitely for me like coming into a city where traditional tattooing is so sort of prolific and it is the basis of much of the shops here and coming in with a very modern contemporary style was a bit challenging and a bit scary but I'm glad I did it and it's kind of pushed me to like better myself in a way like I feel like a lot of people do frown upon contemporary tattooing specifically in more traditional areas so like trying not to be sneered at or like laughed at I guess has kind of pushed me to try and develop my art as much as I can I'm still not where I want to be I'm still improving but I'm kind of happy to have that challenge of um not wanting the local artist to think I'm shit or crap sorry for my language Though going back to the idea of like how my style's changed and how my work has changed, going from school and creating all this real realistic work and stuff that improved my technicalities but never really improved my imagination or my my way of getting sort of a narrative idea onto paper and then going to uni and being around all these amazing artists that did foundation degrees already and they they'd found their style and illustration, it was scary. Like I, all I had ever known was creating realism so I, I worked really hard in the first year to experiment and play around with media and play around with ways of working and I, I still don't have a style I wouldn't say I, I guess like some people might say that my style is quite distinct but I don't I don't really feel like I have a style 
But yeah, I definitely think like being in uni really helped me to like see that other other art was still art. Like I definitely had an idea that realism was the only way to be a true artist because it showed how um, technically good you were and things like that. But then I started coming across illustrators that really like their work was like, it was technically not great. Like I guess they, they wouldn't use directional shading. They didn't study tone and things like that. But the way that they worked, like they made that art was so naive and so raw. It was so much better than a, a lot of realism artists. It kind of had so much more emotion in it. And I think that kind of made me change my mind that abstract art maybe, well, things that were closer to abstract art than realism were actually still art. And one of my good friends, Iona D'Souza, um, if you want to find her on Instagram, her name is Io Illustration, I-O Illustration. Her work definitely inspired me a lot and I still reflect back on that as much as I can because her way of working is it's erratic and it's electric, I guess the way that you can describe it. She kind of really draws from her heart and I, I really appreciate that and admire it. So yeah, meeting artists, artists like her have 100% like kind of driven my style in a very different direction. And I'm continually looking at the way that I work and trying to kind of go out of my comfort zone and not just rely back on shading with a pencil or trying to create the best tonal differences in a, in a piece of work and just go for it. Um, that's something I'm still trying to like detract myself from. But I definitely feel like the way that I work now is kind of, it's more influenced by folk art. And I, I think I was subconsciously sort of drawn to the idea of this because it is just so different from realism. It's disregarding, um, in the same way that photographers have the rule of thirds and rules like that that help make photographs, artists also have like a kind of idea of what makes a good a good drawing, like the golden ratio or having a varied amount of tones in a piece of work and... I, I think that's like all kind of it's it's not lies, but it's it's not it's not the way that you should work as an artist artist. I think art should be completely just true to how you are without sounding really flouncy. So there you go. Those spoke brilliantly for themselves, so there's not much for me to add really. But I just wanna highlight the stuff Santiago was talking about. You can be a dancer anywhere in the world and seeking out where it inspires you rather than following tradition. And I hope if you're listening to this, you're stealing lots of ideas. And I hope that as well, it's prompting you to think about whatever it is you do in a new light. That's that's what we're aiming for here. I don't know why I'm saying that now. It's just occurred to me. But I hope that you, you're picking up on stuff. Make some notes, steal some ideas. So let's go to question five now. Final question of this episode. Do you prefer to work in isolation or do you thrive in collaboration and communal work? Maybe both. How do you manage this balance for yourself? So I was asking this because I noticed that as with everything on the show, my own bias is coming through. And when I was talking about nature before, working environments, there's all of my biases towards working in isolation. I think that's generally the thing with music, apart from bands, obviously, but and the kind of music I make, mostly electronic bedroom produced stuff. It is the case that I'm working on my own most of the time, apart from with Campbell that one time. That is actually one of my only musical collaborations. Anyway, I digress. So yeah, my bias is coming through there. And I wanted to explore those practices where communal work is the norm and working in group is what people love to do. Not to say I don't love it, but it's not, it's not my usual, it's not my norm and it's not how... I feel most comfortable working, but it's good to get out of your comfort zone. So I like to, I like to mix that up every now and then. With all of that, let's go to the answers. We've got Alice, Campbell, Hannah, Jem is answering four and five in this one, and Sophie to finish. I think I work best when I have a balance of isolation and communal work. Um, each way of working has its merits and its downsides for me, really. Writing is something often done in solitude. It's not really a communal activity, but I find that working around other people or even just discussing my ideas with them inspires me to become a better writer. I feel very energised in the presence of other creative people, whereas sometimes when I'm working alone, I find myself getting stuck in a rut, becoming jaded, questioning and overanalyzing my work and its value of fixating obsessively over a choice of word or sentence. And it helps me to go out into the world and allow myself to be inspired and kind of validated in a way by other people who understand the creative process as well. That being said, when I'm in the right frame of mind, I find that working alone brings an unprecedented level of focus and clarity. So I guess it's about the balance. 
I did a month-long creative writing course this time last summer with a small group of people in which we would have classes a few times a week uh, where we'd exchange ideas, uh, like do writing exercises, critique each other's work, and then have the rest of the time to go out into the world and work alone towards a portfolio. And I found the combination of the two working practices really useful. Because when I, well, I was able to harvest inspiration from people and exchange feedback and sort of bask in their energy, I also had the space to work alone and on my own terms. I tend to work on my own a lot just because I think because that's the easiest way to do it. You have complete control and um, you make all the decisions. And you don't have to account for someone else's thoughts. But I do really enjoy collaborating and I especially enjoy it when your roles are kind of com- compartmentalized so that you only have to concentrate on one thing. Like if you're in, say, you're producing or you're recording someone and they're performing and you don't have to worry about their aspects of their performance. You just have to get it down and you know, do it in the, in the computer properly and you can make the creative decisions on arrangement and stuff whereas they are just the performer or or vice versa or if you're performing live you have to you have to relinquish control over the over the whole thing because you need other people to realize whatever it is you're trying to play and you can kind of surrender yourself to the to the group like vision um if you're in a band or in a choir or something you can just concentrate on your part and trust that everyone else is going to play theirs and then you hear it back as the as the result of the whole group's effort and it's, you know, a hundred times better than anything you could have come up with if you were trying to do it yourself on your own. But when I'm working on my own, I do, I like to have imprints of other people in my music. I like to have quotes and I like to have, I guess, little sampled snippets of conversations and things. And on the most recent project that I've been working on, I've, I think all the songs have imprints of my friends, whether it's my housemate uh, reading an Edgar Allan Poe poem at Halloween or another housemate singing something that I kind of I'd written and asked her to give her voice to it or recordings of people that I've made kind of out and about just on my phone and things I like to have other people there but I'm kind of (laughs) using them as instruments for my own like creative vision rather than having them be a creative voice in it and I think that's a really fun way to collaborate you get to have other people in it and still not (laughs) still have complete control over your own work I tend to find that I work best in isolation, yet when I share my work with other people before it's completed. Uh, So I prefer to write by myself. I prefer to sit down with myself, maybe at my desk or maybe in a library somewhere or in a coffee shop. And I prefer to, like I've said before, to kind of put my headphones on and carry on with it. Like with writing, I feel because certainly mine is often so personal. So even though like I'm a critic and I'm talking about film and art and music and it's not necessarily prose about myself, it's still incredibly personal. So when I write about film, there's always something of myself in there. There's always some part of how I feel or my emotions or my personal attachment to it. And I can't shake that and I can't separate that from my work. So because of that, I tend to prefer to work in isolation because things are so intimate sometimes in my writing and they're so personal to me and I struggle to convey that in collaborative work. Uh, But with that said, when I am writing and when I've got, say, my first draft or so done, I always want to share it with friends. If not fellow writers, then just someone who can read my work and give me an honest idea and honest feedback and so on and so forth and talk about it in a way that's, you know, totally fair. And that's how I work best with regards to communal work, I believe. Not quite writing necessarily with someone, but sharing what I've already done with them and allowing them to exert their ideas and to tell me what they think about it and how they think it could change and how they think it could be improved or what they would do if they were writing about it too and so I do enjoy sharing my work I do enjoy sharing writing and sharing creativity but definitely I prefer to initially work alone and then to share that work with others and to have them help me in bringing it together during the final process and in ultimately making the project whatever it is and how that project is then presented to the public in its kind of final form. So the great thing about digital is that the resources that you need for learning it they're all online. There's no sort of central sort of, there's no prestigious school or, I mean, there, there are, but like, if you want to, if you wanted to just get into it, then you can just get into it. You can look up tutorials on YouTube or you can go on the um, forums and the exchanges and questions and answers and the, and the online sort of tool books and um, instruction manuals. So there's really no sort of barrier for entry really so it doesn't matter where in the world i am so long as i have a power outlet and my laptop and access to the internet i can i can be learning new techniques and i can be honing my my abilities in digital art 
which really goes back to the previous question as to what what as to uh, what's the essential for a temporary setup. It's what I said is it's a source of power and access to the internet, and that's about it. That's all I need. So with this means that there's no real sort of central home for people who are into three uh, D digital work. I mean, obviously, if if you're more sort of leaning on like the VFX side, then there's Certainly, there's, there's studios in America and stuff like that in Los Angeles and Hollywood. But if your interests aren't in visual effects and that's not the direction that you want to take your artwork and you're more sort of probably more interested in doing something that's just a little bit more abstract and doesn't really have any sort of application to, say, film industry, then there isn't really a home for you. And it would be really great if there was a central home, a, a, a creative hub for these people to all work from or where there could be studio spaces where it's digital artists sharing studio spaces with each other or other artists. And I think that that would lead to some really great work emerging. It's interesting because I can't imagine there being a city where their scene is digital art. I find it that very hard to imagine. So I've never really had a chance, I'd say, to work in isolation, I guess. Everyone has done, like, been sketching in their room by themselves and things like that. That's a given. But for the bulk of my work, I've never really worked in an isolated situation. Um, like, going from school, from a busy classroom, to the studio at uni, which was, like, 70-odd students, to a street studio in Plymouth, which has four of us in. Like, I've never worked on my own I guess that might be a challenge for myself at some point to do. Could be quite fun, but honestly, I think he, as an artist, I'd, I can't speak for other artists, but I think it's so important to be constantly in contact with other people who are crea creating. I don't think you'll ever improve or like push yourself further if you don't have other people around you who are setting goals for you, if that makes sense. Like they're constantly creating, they're creating their best work that they can and you see that and you want to improve yourself or learn new skills from them. Like I can't see that working in isolation would be good for any visual artist specifically. I guess it's a bit different for literary artists, maybe even musicians to kind of have a bit of alone time. But I think for visual art, it is so important to be visually stimulated all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, for me personally, I've work, I work with three very diverse artists in the studio. We've got my boss who does Mendy, Modern Tribal. His work's very structured. I kind of, like, learn a lot about, like, how to map ideas onto the body from his work, like, and how um, bigger, larger-scale works can work on the body and not just, like, tiny tattoos and things like that. Yeah, I, I learn a lot from, from him specifically with that. And then there's another guy who does, like, traditional... So like more for technicalities of like how to tattoo, I learn a lot about shading from him, a lot like about the mechanics of how to make tattoos, like stand out from the body or like, I don't know, there's, there's a lot more that goes into tattoos, I guess, that people don't really realise, but working with other people is kind of imperative for that. Like I know that a lot of tattoo artists have worked from home, um, like a lot of people do frown upon that, but I can see why a lot of people do that, like with hand, po hand poking and things like that. But inevitably they do end up joining a studio just because you, you there's only so much you can learn by yourself i've learned so much already just from guest artists coming into the studio and they might only stay for three days but i'll learn a lot from them but yeah i can't really imagine working in isolation i think i'd find it really daunting to make work and not have people there to kind of not verify or validate but i don't know give you feedback and like build upon your ideas like i think any art writing music you go back to friends and you show them it and they help you develop it more like nobody's ideas are completely original in that respect like you're always going to have input from other people so yeah in that sense I think being in a communal environment is much better for me personally I mean I, I do try to like um take time by myself but I'll it'll usually be work that I don't direct towards a sort of tattoo design or just be like painting in my room or writing in my room or just like little things kind of like past time or doodle or I don't know, just like little studies that I want to do to try and better my work. But other than that, yeah, I never really do do work on my own. I just find it a lot easier to have a bit of a buzz around me. I don't know. So we've really had the whole spectrum of opinions coming through on that one, which I love, absolutely love. The the contradiction between different practices is interesting too, that Sophie's working in tattooing and collaboration is essential. It's, and I think that's true. But then other people 
really emphasize the importance of isolation and having being able to focus on your own attachment to the subject before anyone else sees it. It's interesting how that separates between visual art and written communication and music. So that's I think that's something to explore. I want to highlight too what Alice was saying about having the freedom to switch between those two kind of modes of creation and reviewing. So there's actually something called the the Genoplore model of creativity. And I think that's what it is, creation and review. I was wrong. It's the generative phase and the exploratory phase, hence the weird name, Genoplore. Back to me. I find it useful to categorise those and deliberately do one or the other when I'm because working by myself, making my own music, I have to create and then I have to review what I'm going to put on an EP or to me, they are separate things and I have to try and work myself into a separate space. So what Alice was saying about being in that environment where she could talk to people and then go back and work somewhere else. I think that's a really good consideration to make if you're creating or expressing yourself in any way that you need to have that cycle of isolation and then coming into where the people are, where the, the, the people that you want to show your art to. What Campbell was saying also about relinquishing control over the whole thing for the group vision and collaborating while keeping his creative control over a project. That stuff sounds really exciting, by the way, the new album and new music, whatever form it takes. But yeah, that's a that's an area that I think in the next or the next next episode, we're going to look at collaboration in lots more depth because that's a, that's a big area. But I think I need to get some more experience in it before I can write any decent questions. We'll see. If you've got any ideas of questions on that, then hit the email which is artwork.atwork.podcast at gmail. Worth dropping. If, you, if you've got any ideas, if you've got any feedback, then hit us there. And so I think that about rounds it out. You've heard wonderful contributions from six people. Alice Hewitt, Campbell McNaughton, Hannah Ryan, Gem Doctor, Santiago Quintana and Sophie Meyer. There's All their links are in the descriptions. Thank you so much to all of you for contributing. I know that to take time out to do this is a bit awkward and to put your voice on voice note is a bit awkward too. And to entrust me with that, I don't take it lightly. So I hope that I've done you justice in talking about what you had to say. I think you've done yourselves enough justice that I don't need to do you any. Regardless, thank you for contributing. It's also strange to take so much time considering your practice when perhaps you'd rather just be doing it. So I appreciate that too. There was some stuff in that creativity book I've been reading and some of the rejections that the guy got before he'd completed his study. They're quite funny and made me realise how lucky I am to have anyone respond to this. So if you're listening, thank you. If you made it this far, especially, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let us know what you liked about the episode, didn't like. Um, I don't know what else to add. Check the blog. By the time this episode comes out, we'll have a review of the first episode online, which if you listen, you don't need to read but you might find it interesting to recap on what was said explore things a little further i'm also going to try and write a couple extra blogs about brockhampton house basically that's been on my mind and it relates to working environments that got a whole house together so that didn't feature in this episode i didn't chat about it for any extended length of time which is rare as anyone who knows me will tell you i talk about brockhampton a little too much so i'm going to put it all in written text and try and make it palatable because i think i'd just ramble if i did it here that being said this has been a very strange experience for me as mad as i am i've never talked to myself for this long so if it's been weird i'm sorry i hope that you've learned something despite its weirdness and i'm glad that we had the voices of contributors to provide some sanity and insight as always that's about it that's all we have to say that's that episode two working environments artwork done Go check the website artworkatwork.art.blog. Have a lovely day, wherever you are, whatever environment you're in. Peace.